You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Colin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Tuesday show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Glad to have you listening in, whether this is your first time checking out Locked On Seahawks or you're a regular listener. We're glad to have you on board. Jam-packed show coming your way. We're going to check out the safety group coming out of the draft in the first couple waves of free agency. Plus, we'll be sharing on Throwback Tuesday, we'll be revisiting a couple of games from the 2020 season, week one and week two against the Falcons and the Patriots. NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson host Locked On's Peacock and Williamson every Monday through Friday. Brian and Matt give you the national perspective all around the NFL, covering all the latest news and insight on every game, team, and move around the NFL. Get your picks, previews, and much more every weekday with the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Rob, we are officially in the third wave of free agency. It's a little bit different this year because there have been a lot of veterans that have remained unsigned, a lot more than normal, with the salary cap plunging to $182.5 million this year, mainly because of the COVID-19 pandemic, not having fans in the stands. So there are a lot of really good players that are still out there waiting for the opportunity to sign with a team waiting for the money to be right, the right fit team-wise. And there's a number of these players that have significant ties to the Seahawks, and that's created plenty of speculation. We have talked extensively on the show about Richard Sherman, and he still remains out there unsigned. He has kept the door open a few days ago in an interview, said that he was always open to coming back to Seattle. He lives in Seattle still. So that looks like that is still maybe an option that's on the table even though after the draft, Pete Carroll made it sound like that really wasn't something that they were going to entertain doing right now. I would think the longer he remains unsigned, the more possible it may be that we see a Richard Sherman reunion. Yeah, I think that absolutely is a possibility, Corbin. There's four former Seahawks out there who primarily are are the ones that uh, I think that Seattle is going to be focusing on. You you mentioned the most high profile of them probably in in Richard Sherman. K.J. Wright is another player, of course, who, uh, you know, Seahawks fans are are, are very much chomping at the bit to kind of see where where he may wind up. There's two others out there that we have not talked about that much that our former Seahawks, the familiarity would would make a lot of sense. And one could make an argument that they're actually in every bit as much of positions of concern at wide receiver with Golden Tate and a defensive tackle, specifically that three technique position with Sheldon Richardson. I think all four of them, you can make an argument, uh, would make some sense for Seattle to at least kick the tires and, and see if they might be players that would be willing to come back at reduced salaries, potentially uh, come back for the Seahawks. I think that if you had to kind of look at this list, then I think the KJ Wright is, is the most logical of the bunch uh, to return. Obviously, the familiarity and, and comfort level um, is going to be that much more considering that he has been with Seattle his entire career, of course, played at the Seahawks just this past season. 
But at the same time, I like that you mentioned Richard Sherman. We know what a ball hawk that he can be. We know the fact that he does live in the Seattle area. He has expressed some some uh, some interest in returning to the Seahawks. And we also know that the Seahawks have a lot of question marks at the cornerback position. Who better to be able to kind of solidify that role than Richard Sherman? And I know that the Seahawks have made a lot of moves. We saw them sign Akella Witherspoon. They used a fourth-round pick on Trey Brown. They brought back Pierre Desir. Last week, they claimed Savion Smith off waivers from the Cowboys, former starter for Alabama, another big-bodied corner. So they have made a number of moves addressing that position with some players that can compete. But if Richard Sherman is fully healthy, he is still the best corner of that group. There's no question in my mind. So I think the door is still open. I would say it's a 25% chance. The fact that he has rekindled talks with the 49ers tells me that that might be the landing spot for him to go back to San Francisco, who happens to have a little bit more money than I think they anticipated they were going to have by this stage of the offseason. So I think that probably the 49ers are the favor, but I think there's still a chance, even with what Pete Carroll said last week, that we may still see Richard Sherman come back. K.J. Wright, to me, though, is still the player that probably has the best chance of returning because it just seems like his market has not been there. The Dallas Cowboys were a team that were linked to him, and they drafted several linebackers a week ago. So I don't see any way that Dallas is going to have any interest at this point bringing in K.J. Wright with a young talent that they drafted, the players that were already on the roster. And there haven't really been any other teams that have jumped out as potential candidates for him. And it's unfortunate because he's coming off of arguably the best season of his career, but he's going to be 32. He's had a few injuries in the past. So teams just weren't rushing to sign players that were old and have had injury issues in free agency this year. There just wasn't the money to be able to do that, to pay that player what he's worth or what he perceives his value is. And so I still think, there's at least a 50% chance that K.J. Wright comes back to Seattle because I just can't think of any other alternatives. If he really wants to play, I think he may have to settle for less and stay where he's always been in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, there's a couple of different things that you just mentioned there, Corbin, that I want to kind of expand on. I think are really good points. Um, for the first one with K.J. Wright and his age at 32, all four of these players are in their 30s. Um, that's something that Seattle has generally uh, tried not to go back that way. They, they want to stay young. I, I remember a conversation I had with John Schneider after they won the Super Bowl. Uh, a few years back now. And one of the things that he was proudest of is not just the fact that he had just won a Lombardi trophy in a ring, but it was the fact that they were the youngest team in NFL history at that point to ever do so. I uh, think he took a great deal of pride in that. And as, as did Pete Carroll, of course, as the former college coach that, that he was, uh, you know, so I think that's part of it. Just the age of these players. I, I think also that you mentioned with KJ Wright and the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, you're right. Dallas did in, uh, make some reinvestments to the linebacker position in the draft, including their very first pick, uh, Micah Parsons, the dynamic linebacker out of Penn State, being their first round selection. Um, the, the fact that uh, the Cowboys did lose Sean Lee to retirement, but they have Jalen Smith, a former very high second round pick who is still just kind of coming into his own. They had Leighton Van Der Esch is a linebacker that has struggled with durability since he was a first round selection at, a Bo at a Boise State a couple of years ago. But still, I think the Dallas Cowboys feel very, very confident that they have a, a very talented linebacking core. So your point about the fact that the uh, you know the the opportunities for some of these veterans are basically drying up. And then you made the point a little bit earlier about just the fact that the salary cap is so diminished this year. 
I think all of those factors, as well as the fact that some of these positions that we've talked about, um, you know, wide receiver Seattle, of course, made their big move uh, drafting Dwayne Eskridge in the second round. But off-ball off linebacker was one of the biggest positions of strength in this year's draft class. Cornerback was another uh, terrific position uh, of strength in this draft class. And obviously, Seattle w- was able to address that in the free agents that you mentioned, as well as the rookie Trey Brown. I like some of the undrafted free agents that they brought in this year. Um, and, but the one position that is a little bit uh, was was weaker this year in the draft is defensive tackle. And we've talked before about how Seattle has a lot of youth along the defensive tackle position, but they don't necessarily have a, a great deal of experience, at least not that three technique. So to me, Sheldon Richardson, I, I think that you're right. KJ Wright, probably 50% chance of returning. Maybe Richard Sherman, 25% chance. I think Sheldon Richardson has an outside chance too. I would probably put him at about 20%. Yeah, I would agree with you. I actually think when I look at this list right now, my viewpoint has changed because of Trey Brown's selection because before the draft, I would have said Richard Sherman's probably the player behind K.J. Wright that would be the most desirable addition out of this group. And you'd still like to be able to bring him in. Like I said, I still think when healthy, he's better than any of the corners the Seahawks have on their roster currently. But they need a player that can step in to help fill the void for Jaron Reed's departure. Now, maybe Robert Kimdiche finally fulfills his potential, but that's a really big gamble to make there at that position then you don't really know if he's going to pan out. Sheldon Richardson hasn't been quite as productive rushing the passer as he was early in his career with the Jets, but he had four and a half sacks last year. He had three and a half the year before, and he had four and a half the year before that. So since he left Seattle, he has been a solid pass rusher. He racked up 60 or more tackles each of the last two years. So I think that he would be an ideal pickup for them to bring back. And I don't think he left on bad terms. They just didn't have much money. They couldn't afford to bring him back, even though I think they wanted to, it just wasn't the cards right now. I could see there being a deal potentially there. So I think that he's a guy that could make some sense right. And Sherman as well. Tate's the one player from this group. I think that that opportunity has passed with Dwayne Eskridge being drafted, but the other three players I think would all make a lot of sense. And the longer they remain unsigned, the better chance that they may find their ways back to Seattle here in this latest phase of free agency when we come back in the second quarter it's throwback tuesday rob and i are going to be revisiting the first two games from the seahawks 2020 season looking back at players of the game some stats that stand out and of course we'll be looking at the turning point in those games as well you won't want to miss it you're listening to the locked on seahawks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and all of the UFC MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Welcome back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined as always by Rob Rang. Over the next several weeks, as we start to transition to the next phase here of the offseason and get closer to training camp, Rob and I are going to be revisiting all of the games from the Seahawks 2020 season. We're going to do two games each week. So we'll be starting with 
the season opener against the Atlanta Falcons, as well as week two, that thriller at Lumen Field against the New England Patriots. Both these games were pretty good ones. Uh, first one, the Seahawks pulled away late, but man, we're going to be talking a lot about Russell Wilson here because as we attested to during the season, he was on a historic pace the first five or six games before he cooled off substantially in the second half and really was red hot right out of the gate. And Atlanta's secondary was not known as an elite one to begin with. They had a first-round pick in A.J. Terrell making his NFL debut. D.K. Metcalf roasted him on a platter for a long touchdown in the first half. Several other big plays in the second half that helped the Seahawks pull away for a 38-25 road victory in Atlanta. It really set the tone for what this team was going to be as they raced out to a 5-0 and start, one of the most explosive offenses in the league. It really was. I mean, it was absolutely spectacular. I, mean, I think it's easy for, for Seahawks fans just to remember the way that the season ended with, with Seattle struggling to put up enough points. Um, they certainly came out of the gates putting up all kinds of points. You know, Russell Wilson was 31 of 35 in that game against Atlanta. So he had four incompletions the same number of touchdowns that he threw in this game. And one of the things that uh, that really jumped out to me was, you know, just from an, a talent evaluator kind of standpoint is I just was re, I was so impressed, not only by Russell Wilson, as you said, Corbin, but we're going to be talking a lot about him over these first two games because he did start off about as hot as it ever gets, but was the, the improved receiving ability from Chris Carson, who, who had two touchdown catches in this game to start it off and to really get Seattle going. Um, and, and Seattle was able to kind of build up a bit of a lead and, and just the consistent scoring that they had throughout the game. While they got blanked in the second quarter, they, they scored two touchdowns in the first quarter. I mentioned both the uh, receptions by Chris Carson, two more touchdowns in the third quarter, another touchdown in the fourth quarter, 38 points, uh, points scored, you know, by, by a team that at least on paper, the Atlanta Falcons looked like a playoff contender. They had their durability issues and that's why they wound up sinking the NFC South. But what a performance right out of the gate by the Seahawks. Yeah, we looked at this as a game that you don't want to say week one's a trap game, but I mean, week one, you never know what to expect. Crazy things happen in the opening week of the season. The Falcons have some really talented players, especially on the offense side of the ball, but the Seahawks came out and the Falcons were hanging with them after the first half. And then Russell Wilson took over. And I think it's pretty safe to say he's our player of the game with 322 passing yards, as you mentioned, four incompletions, the same total as he had for touchdown passes in this game. He was flinging the ball all over the place. The Falcons had no answer. And that leads me to the stat of the game, 88.5% completion rate. You're not going to see NFL quarterbacks that throw the ball 35 times in the game that are going to hit that number very often. So not only was he completing balls downfield, he was just hitting receivers in stride, extremely accurate all afternoon long. And what's crazy about this game, the turning point, though, wasn't on offense, at least in my opinion. This was a 21-12 game midway through the third quarter. The Falcons were only down nine points, and with the firepower they've got, nine points isn't that much. And they had fourth and two, weren't quite to midfield, and former coach Dan Quinn decided to roll the dice and, and called a fake punt. Marquise Blair came up and stuffed the running back in the line of scrimmage and then knocked the football out. Freddie Swain recovers it. And just a few plays later, Russell Wilson's firing a touchdown to Greg Olson, the only score he had in his lone season with the Seahawks. 
and it puts them up 28 to 12. That really put the game away for the most part. The Seahawks were able to score 10 more points, but that gave them some distance in this game that they otherwise didn't have in what was really a, a pretty tightly contested game for two and a half quarters. No, it really was. Uh, it was a very competitive game. And as you just mentioned, I mean, that was truly one of the turning points. And you also kind of referenced Russell Wilson's uh, just the statistical dominance that he showed in this game. I'll take a little bit more of a negative uh, perspective on this game from a Seahawk perspective is not only was this the game where where everybody started to kind of get on board with the let Russ cook kind of idea. It also was the game where we saw Seattle's defense struggle so much. As impressive as Seattle was on offense um, with Russell Wilson to take an absolute starring role. I mentioned the running back, Chris Carson, with his two touchdown receptions. You mentioned Greg Olson. DK Metcalf had another touchdown reception, obviously leading to his first Pro Bowl season. But the Seahawks also gave up 434 net passing yards uh, to Matt Ryan. 506 total yards given up to Atlanta after Seattle, obviously the victor in this game, but still Atlanta had 506 total yards. Seattle had only 383, and that would be a theme all throughout the season, or at least the, at least the first half of the season until Seattle's defense really stepped it up in the second half. That's a perfect segue to week two because I've got a lot more negative commentary from that game than what I did from the season opener. I thought, yeah, they gave up some yards, but that's been kind of a consistent approach against Matt Ryan. It seems like Pete Carroll really likes that rope-a-dope approach that he likes to bring up against Atlanta. He likes to make them work their way down the field. He'll give up some first downs, but we're going to limit you to field goals, and they were able to do that in that game. They were able to hold Atlanta a lot of times, and they stuffed them on fourth down several times, too. So they made the big plays when they needed to, and they did that against New England, too, at the end of the game in week two, a 35-31 win, but they needed every single one of Russell Wilson's five touchdown passes to five different receivers to be able to squeak out a victory because, to me, the most telling stat in this game, obviously Russell Wilson's stat line was insane. Another five-touchdown performance. He did throw a pick six, but that wasn't his fault. Greg Olson just dropped the pass, and it was intercepted on the opening drive of the game. Otherwise, he was near flawless once again with that red-hot start. But they gave up almost 400 passing yards through the air to Cam Newton and a Patriots squad that really had issues most of the season generating yardage and points through the passing game. That was just not a strength for this team. That was a really bad omen for what the first half was going to look like for the Seahawks defense. They were eventually able to turn things around, but giving up that many yards and really struggling that much against New England's offense in the passing game certainly gave some pause for concern, even though they exited this game 2-0 atop the NFC West. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, I kind of was going to make the joke there that, that Russell Wilson actually threw six touchdown passes in this game, of course, as you mentioned, the pick six. Um, that really, again, wasn't Wilson's fault, but still, um, you know, just kind of the statistical anomaly considering that he was starting off the year now with the five touchdown uh, five touchdown throws in this game, four touchdowns previously, a nine-to-one touchdown to interception ratio was very much building up on that early MVP talk. Um, you know, but 
but also the thing that was very concerning, as you mentioned, it was Cam Newton, the way that he um, basically was able to just uh, attack Seattle's defense. And that would be a theme throughout the, the entire first half of the year. It was especially concerning the fact that uh, the New England, frankly, didn't have a lot of wide receiver talent. Uh, with all due respect to Julian Edelman, who absolutely ate up the Seahawks, eight catches for 179 yards, including a 49-yard uh, reception. Again, you may have expected that before with, with Tom Brady, but not with, with Cam Newton, who was still Cam Newton that we know and respect as far as two rushing touchdowns in this game, was able to, to keep New England very much in this game. It was the most impressive performance I saw from Cam Newton all year long last year. Um, and so while I have a great deal of respect for, for Newton, um, at the same time, it was very concerning for, for the Seahawks' perspective that this was a team that you thought Seattle should be able to kind of cakewalk their, their way to a 2-0 start, and they very much got tested by both Atlanta and New England. And the thing that was crazy about the Patriots game is their midway to the fourth quarter, it looked like the Seahawks were going to do what they did against the Falcons. It looked like they were going to create the separation that they needed to be able to get through the end of this game and not have to worry about drama. But that did not happen. The Patriots came storming back, and then they had the ball inside a minute to go and they got down to the goal line and this was just this is what Seattle did all year they found ways to make stops when they absolutely needed to and so this wasn't one of those games where oh there was a big turning point in the third quarter it was a very back and forth affair the turning point was the very last play in the game where the Patriots are trying to slam the ball home from the one yard line they're down four trying to win the game and Lano Hill blows up the fullback. LJ Collier slips through the B gap and upends Cam Newton, flips him, and he doesn't get into the end zone. And they get the huge stop with time expiring to send the Patriots back home with a loss. Those are the kind of plays that this defense, just as bad as they were in the first half, they did find ways to make those crucial plays when they absolutely had to. They did it a few times against the Falcons, and then they came through in the clutch there. LJ Collier and company at the very end of this game to secure the victory. Yeah, as I just mentioned, with Cam Newton kind of having his star-worthy performance, I thought this was a kind of a welcome to the NFL kind of a moment or welcome to Seattle kind of moment for LJ Collier. I think that that the people who have been knocking him after, you know, admittedly a dis disappointing rookie season for the Seahawks, but one that was, um, you know, very much uh, – in, ruined basically by the, the different injuries that he had had, especially early in, in his rookie campaign. But we saw the type of player that LJ Collier was becoming with how forceful he could be uh, at the point of attack. And that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we, again, was a little bit of a theme throughout the rest of the season is that LJ Collier uh, matured into one of Seattle's most reliable defensive linemen. When we come back in the third quarter, we're going to switch gears, our post-draft depth chart review Going back to the defensive side of the football, the Seahawks should be in good hands at the safety position. There might be some contract drama coming up if a certain number 33 does not get a new deal before training camp. But otherwise, things are looking pretty good at the safety position. We're going to look at the starters, reserves, wild cards, and players are going to be on the 53-man roster. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it is now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the counterman orders the parts on his computer, choosing the only brand his warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com and in your pocket. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car and truck right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Welcome back, 12s. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. We kicked off a few days ago our post-draft depth chart review. We've looked at defensive tackle as well as the center position. Now going back to defense, Last year when the Seahawks were really struggling, because we just kind of hit on those first couple weeks of the season, it really was an entire first half issue. The Seahawks were giving up a ton of yardage and a ton of points. And some of the issue revolved around the safety play. Quandre Diggs, I think, was playing better than people realized, but he was getting put in some really difficult spots with there not being much of a pass rush, the corners having their share of issues. And of course, Jamal Adams missed four games with a groin injury during that time as well. So the Seahawks were not playing near the level people thought they were going to do with the investments that they'd made trading for Adams as well as Diggs. They did get a surprise in Ryan Neal, though, that stepped up and played really well in Adams' absence. And then by the time the second half rolled around, Rob, we started to see this group really gel. Not only was Adams playing at a all-pro caliber level, breaking the sacks record in just 12 games for defensive backs, Quandre Diggs, really came on strong in the second half. He ended up making his first Pro Bowl roster. And Ryan Neal continued to give him some snaps in dime packages and made some big plays on special teams. This ended up being one of the biggest strengths for the Seahawks by the end of the year, even if the first half was disappointing and maybe a bit underachieving due to a number of factors. I I agree with everything you just said there, buddy. I mean, I, I think that this became Seattle's best position on the defensive side of the ball, and arguably, uh, you know, one of maybe with a maybe you can say the wide receiver position, just considering you have two Pro Bowlers now um, in DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But I think other than that, I think that safety is absolutely one of Seattle's best position. That's something that we've talked about in previous off seasons, of course, is that Seattle just has a terrific track record at, at the safety position. Um, you know, including the, the Hall of Famer Kenny Easley, of course. Um, you know, to me. That is really where the the season started to switch a little bit is when Jamal Adams was able to come back uh, and be healthy. Then you could just see a different level of intensity and physicality um, in the back half of Seattle's defense. And I, I say that with all due respect to you know another future Hall of Famer and Bobby Wagner and talked about KJ Wright and uh, of course what, what Jordan Brooks brought um, to Seattle.
ACL at the linebacker position, but but safety is such a critical position in today's NFL. You know, when you consider the, just the, the the variety of different sizes and shapes you have at wide receiver, at tight end, when you have a division like Seattle is competing against where you have a quarterback like Kyler Murray who can basically, basically make anybody miss in the open field, make them look foolish, it was just critical. I think it was absolutely part of John Schneider and Pete Carroll's strategy to be able to find true playmakers at the safety position. Um, with Jamal Adams, as you just mentioned, his ability to rush up field, Quandre digs with his instincts, his straight line speed, his physicality, as well as his ball skills. It really is an impressive combination. And then Seattle, of course, has a couple of wild cards. We, we talked before about Marquise Blair and the, you know, in the breakdown against the Atlanta Falcons and some of the big plays that he was able to make. You know, it, to me, he is the absolute wild card of this positional group, whether it be at the cornerback position, whether it be at safety. I think Seattle has to try to find a way to get this young man onto the field hopefully he can stay healthy yeah that's going to be the big key because he's had some injury issues dating back all the way to high school he had a knee injury in college obviously tore his ACL in week two last year now Pete Carroll said that he is making great progress if you've paid any attention on social media there have been workout videos periodically in recent months including as recently as May 4th showing Marquise Blair advancing his workouts the last video that came out he was backpedaling with a weighted sled. So that's really good news for the Seahawks. It looks like he should be in good shape to be back for the start of training camp, probably full bore. He'll be ready to roll because he's now more than eight months removed from his uh, reconstructed knee surgery. So that's good news. The big key is going to be figuring out what you're going to do with him. I would think if Marquise Blair is fully recovered and he's able to return to form the way that he played last training camp, we talked about it throughout August. He was the MVP of Seahawks training camp. Every single day he was making big plays, whether that was blitzing off the edge and getting sacks, whether he was deflecting passes, one-handed interceptions, you name it. It seemed like every day he was making highlight reel plays and just kept jumping out. So he won that slot corner position job outright, but it sure sounds like Pete Carroll still has some plans to utilize him in some safety roles. They're going to be able to do a lot of moving around because they can move Jamal Adams up near the box. Quandre Diggs has played corner before. So you have flexibility with those three players. And really, to me, the wild card in this group is is a player I mentioned earlier, especially with the fact that Jamal Adams still has not gotten a new contract yet. We don't know what that's going to look like when training camp opens if he has not signed a new deal. Is he going to report? Because I think there's a good chance he could hold out. And a player that may be able to take advantage of that from a rep standpoint is Ryan Neal. We got to see what he could do starting a handful of games last year. At six foot three, played physical football. They were able to use him in a lot of the same ways that they were using Jamal Adams. He's obviously not as good as Jamal Adams, but he can do a lot of the same things. He's big enough to play up in the box. He's a willing run defender. They blitzed him with some success, and he showed he's got quality ball skills with a couple of interceptions, a couple of big passes defense. The Giants game, he knocked a ball loose that Quandre Diggs picked off when he checked in for a dime package. So I still think they're going to find ways. There may be times where they are in dime where they technically have four safeties on the field because that's the kind of versatility that Ryan Neal and Marquise Blair and even Ugo Amadi give you. All three of those guys have experience playing corner and safety, and you love to have Swiss Army knives like that that you can just rotate in, and it just gives you the ability to adapt 
to all kinds of different offenses, different personnel groupings. So they've got to be fired up with that core of five or six players that they have returning. And that's the reason they didn't make any big moves. They didn't draft any safeties. They didn't sign any, even an undrafted free agency. They didn't bring any safeties because they are really well set at this group with a lot of really talented players, several players that were high draft picks and a few guys that weren't that have ended up carving out solid NFL careers that they bring a variety of different skill sets. It's a win-win for the Seahawks as long as they can keep this group healthy because a number of these guys have had injury issues. That's the thing, and that's why it's so important to have quality depth. And I, I love that you mentioned the positional versatility uh, of, of Ryan Neal, of a Marquise Blair, of a Ugo Amadi, of Demarius Randall as well. Another, um, you, you mentioned these guys that were drafted high. I mean, he was a former first round pick by by Green Bay out of Arizona State, and um, you know, because of that positional versatility, it does provide. Pr- provide Seattle with a great deal of uh, flexibility because there are so many different type of NFL teams out there and how they are choosing to attack the field. You know, just a couple of days ago, um, we were talking about, uh, you know, looking ahead, actually yesterday, we were talking about, um, you know, looking ahead to Wednesday's schedule breakdown. And you start looking at the different type of offenses that the Seahawks are going to be facing. You're going to be facing some clubs here uh, in San Francisco, in in Tennessee, in Detroit, who are going to be looking to run the ball right down their opponent's throats. So these bigger safeties, like a Ryan Neal, for example, what would make a lot of sense, probably see a lot of playing time in a game like that. Whereas if you're going against the Arizona Cardinals team that's going to basically flood the, re- the, the field with wide receivers, then maybe you can get away with the smaller, quicker guys like a Ugo Amadi or Demarius Randall. It's that type of flexibility I think is really, really, really intriguing uh, for the Seahawks this year. There are a number of clubs out there who have a lot of talent, a lot of bodies along the defensive line. I think it's interesting how Seattle has constructed their roster with a lot of uh, talent and bodies and depth and experience, um, you know, and so a lot of first round or second round players in the secondary. And I think that that is, again, uh, more of a reflection of not only the talent that they have in the field, but just acknowledging that the way that the NFL is going now, it is a game that is played in space more. If you can have this many safeties who can play all of those different roles, as well as special teams, obviously, then the think that's just really important. Um, and then one last thing there, I, I mentioned Marquise Blair as the wild card. And I, I think that Ryan Neal is, is not a wild card. He's kind of your ace in the hole. I mean, he, he's the guy that that can play. He's already done it. He, he's proven it that, that he can play this type of, uh, of different versatile roles and then uh, stand up to the better competition. You know, and so to me, that again is one of the reasons why Seattle's safety position, I think, is comparable or as good as just about any in all of the NFL. Yeah, it being interchangeable in today's NFL, it's never been more valuable. Having guys that you can move all over the formation and the Seahawks right there have five safeties that can play multiple spots in some capacity that you could move around. And so that ability to adapt based on the opponents that you're playing is simply invaluable. And for that reason, I'm not even going to debate with you which players are going to be making the roster because to me, all five of these safeties, two of them play slot corner too. These guys are all going to be on the opening day roster. It would be a stunner if any of these players are not on the roster in week one. I think the only plausible way is if one of them gets injured, and hopefully that doesn't happen. But I expect all five of these players to be on Seattle's week one roster. They've got an outstanding safety group from top to bottom. And even Demarius Randall, as you mentioned, 
They list him as a corner now, but he's played safety. He has started games at both safety spots in the NFL. So he gives them even more insurance and experience at that position with first-round pedigree. So John Schneider and Pete Carroll got to be fired up about what they have returning at this position, and it should be one of the biggest strengths for the Seahawks in the 2021 season. Make sure to check out the Locked On Today podcast hosted by the great Peter Bukowski. He updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts, and it's under 20 minutes. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Check out Locked On Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and the all-new Odyssey app. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Coming up on our Wednesday show, the schedule will officially be revealed by the NFL. We'll be sharing our initial thoughts on all 17 games on the docket for the Seahawks and much more. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.